Hi, I'm Dr. Susan Block, and I'm here with you, riding that train we call FDR into 2023. It's our first show of 2023. So we're going to talk about sex, politics, and the bonobo way in the coming year. And we're also going to say farewell to a good, good friend of my co-conductor of FDR. Welcome aboard, Captain Max. Hello, Dr. Susie. And we are saying adieu to a good, good friend of Max's and a great artist, one of the founders of the Fluxus movement and publisher of many, many revolutionary publications, producer of many revolutionary programs, and co-publisher with Max of such magazines you may have seen or heard of. Love, Hate, God, Finger, Annie Sprinkle, various Annie Sprinkle magazines, and the LA Star. And so tonight, we're going to talk, Max is mostly going to talk, about Willem de Ritter, his extraordinary life, his amazing art, and the history of underground publishing in Los Angeles. So, are you ready for this, Max? Yes. To go down memory lane? Yes. This is really a lot about your life, although we're going to focus on the part of your life that is Willem de Ritter. Willem... I'll just say, to summarize, was a painter, a storyteller, a radio and TV producer, a publisher, an inventor, an innovator, a musician, an actor, a talk show host, a sound designer, a costume designer, a philosopher. He was the chairman of Fluxus for Northern Europe. And he worked with a lot of important artists that I might mangle their names, but I'm going to give it a try here. Misja Mengelberg, Dick Raymakers, Louis Andreessen, Name June Pack, I know that person, George Maciunas, Wim T. Shippers, Andrew McKenzie, and many other artists. He founded and published Suck, the first European erotic magazine. He produced the film series Sad Movies. He founded the esoteric organization Hollandia International and organized with Bill Levy the first international erotic film festival. 
And in America, Willem and Max, who was then called Mickey Leblevich, published some of the most innovative magazines, as I said, Love, Hate, Finger, God, which wasn't even allowed to be called God. It had to be called G. And Annie Sprinkle, Sprinkle Report, The Ladies' Room, Finger, Sound Finger, The L.A. Star, and many others. And Willem recently passed away. The story we hear is that he had COVID and must have been very rough for someone who was asthmatic as he was. So tonight's show is a tribute, at least in part, to Willem. So I guess we'll start, Max, with um, how did you meet Willem DeRitter? I don't know if I want to do this. Hmm. Okay. What are you feeling? What do you want to do? I don't know. I would like to say goodbye to Willem. I mean, he wasn't that close a friend of mine. I met him through you. And I understand how you might feel. He was very, very close to you. And especially in a very profound part of your life, the center of your life. Published some very important magazines with you. And it's a very sudden feeling, even though he was in his 80s. It's like a punch to the stomach when someone you care about is gone. I'm sure you're feeling a lot of complex feelings that I can't know. I'm not a mind reader. But... It's always hard to say goodbye to someone we love. I know that sounds like a cliche, that is a cliche, but a lot of cliches are based on some truth. And I know you loved Willem. More than love, he was a part of your life. It's like losing an organ. But you've been telling stories, wonderful stories about how you met him, and how you worked together, how you loved together, not that you were lovers, but that you just made love with different people in your lives, your lovers as well as your readers and your listeners. And they've been very inspiring, these stories that I've yeah, been... Yeah, I'm sorry. I was just a little pissed off right before the show. Mm. So um, I'm a little discombobulated and uh, okay. a little angry. Well, Willem would say, talk about the anger. Be angry. I guess he would say that. You know better than me. 
but he seemed to go with the flow. He was very much in the moment and not about perfection, that's for sure. So, you want to talk about that? About what? About your angry feelings, what you're thinking, about what's on your mind. Yeah. Okay. I mean, not really, but uh, let's go on with the show. Okay. All right, so. On with the show. How did I meet Willem? <clears throat> it was the 1970s. Uh, there was a cultural, uh, uh, sexual uh, revolution that was taking place uh, around the world and also here in Los Angeles. And there were some key players that uh, um, that were running uh, part of this uh, sort of underground, underbelly um, <clears throat> publishing uh, um, rebellion. Uh, here on the West Coast, uh, there was a group called the Star Family with uh, Paul Eberly, um, my ex-wife uh, Susan, um, and um, and a bunch of hippies and dope smokers. And uh, we were doing a magazine called the LA Star. The LA Star was, uh, became uh, one of the, uh, the, it actually became the largest alternative voice in the city of Los Angeles uh, after the free press folded with uh, Art Kunkin. Um, on the East Coast, we had Al Goldstein, um, another friend who not too recently, but recently passed away. Um, and up North, uh, we had uh, uh, the comic uh, revolution, uh, which was a very sexual comic uh, revolution. In the Midwest, uh, we had, uh, I forget the name of the magazine, but uh, also a revolutionary little magazine. Um, and while all of this was happening here, in across the lake, far, far away, in a land called the Netherlands, there was another revolutionary character. His name was uh, Willem de Ritter. And uh, in our publishing uh, adventures, uh, we constantly were getting, uh, here in Los Angeles, uh, getting um, prosecuted for our work, for showing nudity, for showing people having sex, mm -hmm. for showing people having joy, mm -hmm. and also revealing something that uh, uh, Willem says about America, uh, it, it all looks very nice, but then when you put a little slit in the veneer of the body, mm -hmm. you find, in essence, that we're all wonderfully perverted in one form or another. Right. You know, some of us like to hug trees. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Others like to put their thing in exhaust pipes. Oh, uh, that painful. Painful and it hurts. And um, 
So we kept getting prosecuted and raided and so forth. In order to defend ourselves, we started a magazine called Finger. Finger. And uh, Finger was really kind of a money-making thing in order to pay for the lawyers and, and the court cases and all of that kind of stuff. Though it could create its own court it, cases. That's correct, which it eventually will. And one of the things that happened one day, I found a, a page from a magazine called Suck that uh, mm. uh, was some how around <laughs> floating around yeah floating around the office and uh, I asked uh, our uh, I was trying to find where, where did this magazine come from or this page it was very beautifully done and uh, uh, let's see now I forgot our distributor's name again oh Luigi 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 Lucci and uh, mafia no no so i said uh, so luigi says oh yes oh i'm sorry that must have uh, dropped out of my car somehow and ended up here and i said well what wh- what is this he says well my cousin in holland he distributes a magazine called suck hmm. suck magazine is done by a guy by the name uh, Willem de Ritter and uh, and uh, Bill Levy and uh, some of the radicals of that time feminists because this was a time that feminism was growing it was a time of evolution and a revolution unlike MAGA <laughs> we were much cooler <laughs> we, we were uh, kind of the opposite yeah kind of the opposite uh, not uh, throwing around hate and and violence and, and those kinds of things. And uh, I, I said, do you have some more, you know, do you have some of these magazines? Yeah. And he said, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I have the whole set. I think there were eight. Eight. Yeah. Issues of eight suck. Ish- I believe mm-hmm. there were eight issues of suck. And he brings them to me. And I see really an extraordinary magazine and design and mm-hmm. so forth so Jermaine for, Greer was in that Jermaine Greer was in that with a very famous photo of her with her legs up showing her cunt right and very the, yogi position very yogi and the article was lady love your cunt of course right if you don't love your cunt who will who will it's like you better love your penis also because mm. It's going to be hanging around with you the rest of your life, unless <laughs> you transition. Right. Love uh, your finger. Yeah, lo- love your finger. At least you got ten of those. So, I thought, you know what? I'm just going to do a tribute to Suck Magazine. Oh, Why mm-hmm. not? Right. And so, basically, in, I took pages and pages out of Suck Magazine. And I put them into Finger Magazine. And uh, it looked beautiful. Finger, <laughs> finger looked great. Um, unknown to me, uh, 
Willem de Ridder was in uh, up north uh, finishing the last issue of Suck Magazine. So he was in the United States. Oh. And one day, as he's walking along uh, San Francisco Street, he sees one of our racks. He goes, ah, interesting. And he comes up to it and he's looking at the front page and there is a story about Suck Magazine. Your story. Yeah, our story mm -hmm. and our tribute. So he says, who are these people? Of course. What the hell's going on here? At least you gave him credit. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. We gave him credit. I was uh, uh, totally initially uh, amazed by his work and continued to be so. Um, several weeks later, I'm sitting in my office, uh, just uh, smoking a joint and enjoying my day when uh, they call me and, uh, the, and they, uh, they, uh, I think it was Maureen Murphy. Uh, I loved her. She was great. Maureen, uh, I don't know if it was, someone says, there's somebody here that would like to see you. Oh, she was the one who had two boyfriends who were killed by lightning, lightning. strikes right. at different times. At different times. Lightning strikes twice, twice in Maureen's life, so you must have been afraid. Is this the third <laughs> time? Oh, no. Am I going to be struck by lightning? And I kind of was. Uh, and she says, there's a gentleman out here whose name is Willem the Ridder. Ta-dum. And ta-dum, almost like... Are there cops out there? <laughs> Here was Willem the Ritter at my door. I said, okay, well, sure. <laughs> Let him in. And Willem comes trotting in with his very high spirit and... He does kind of trot when he walks. Yeah, mm. and, and soul and, and that voice of his. And uh, he introduces himself. Hi, I'm Willem the Ritter. Uh, I designed the magazine that you published in your magazine. <laughs> I said, oh, yes, well, of course. It's a beautiful magazine. And, you know, I wanted to pay tribute. And uh, so we immediately got along. He was, in essence, doing the same thing in Holland that we were doing here and that is really the world's first reader written magazines right where the readers created the content and now of course that's all over the internet yeah now that's the internet but then it was really unusual it was very unusual and um, and there was something else that was kind of unusual at least here in the United States and in the underground press or alternative press, uh, we published each other's stuff. Yeah. And it was okay, you know. And, of course, that's what we have now on the Internet. It's like open source. Yeah, like open source. And uh, uh, more critically and really important is the, uh, uh, the un 
unhindered flow of information. And entertainment. And entertainment. And without censorship. So, mainly because we were hippies, and mainly because we were a bunch of hippies smoking dope all day and, and having sex. I was not having sex with everybody. But well, every you had a wife. By yeah, the way, that's not me. That's Susan yeah, before me. That's Susan before me. Um, we weren't doing that, uh, but all the other kids there Kid, were doing What do you mean? The, the staff, staff. Yeah, the staff. Was having a lot of swinger yeah. sex. A lot of kind of swinger sex, you know. Uh, we had... Kinky oh, sex. Yeah. And we had all these... I mean, I don't want to be sexist, but let me be sexist. There, We had a lot of hot... Hippie chicks. Right. I bet there were also hot hippie guys. There were hot mm -hmm. hippie guys, that's correct. And we were ingesting everything. You were a hot hippie guy. You did a centerfold before um, Bert. Be before Bert Reynolds, yes, and before uh, Playgirl came out. Yeah, you did a very sexy I, I centerfold. I did a, a frontal nudity in the woods on a... Big Bones is out for all to enjoy. <laughs> on a on a wall of, of rocks. See? A yeah. lot of beefcake out there, yeah. babe. And then uh, a few months later, uh, Playgirl came out and Burt Reynolds did a, uh, uh, did a, a nude uh, thing, but you know, he didn't show anything. Right. And uh, now there's a series. I forget what it's called now. Maybe... Adriana remembers... Dick Picks, that's what it's called. No, I'm just no, kidding. No, no, it's not Dick Picks. It is called something about uh, a guy in low-rent district who... Uh, anyway, and... Uh, it's what? What? Minx. Minx, right. Minx. Nothing to do with the Minsk agreements between mm, Russia and Ukraine. No. No, this is M-I-N-X. Right. And Minsk is about this guy uh, who, uh, along with these women, uh, or this woman, publish sex magazines. So somehow we're, uh, that history is intertwined what we were doing because certainly... We were low rent, and I was a uh, uh, some kind of hippie, whatever they could, they called me all kinds of names at the time. And um, um, where was I? Um, well, we had you doing a centerfold, but okay. basically we were just describing right. how there were hot hippie chicks, there were hot hippie guys, there were hot hippie. The beginning of trans, and, uh, <laughs> everything. Yeah. The beginning of trans, the beginning of the women's movement, the beginning of all of those things. This was when the women's movement and the sexual revolution Lucian. were intertwined. Correct. They later split apart. But at this time, everybody seemed to be in a revolution together. You know, everybody was anti-war. Everybody right. was, was seeing on. what we still see, which is the bonobo way, which is the idea that... You know, making love is kind of the opposite of making war. Not directly. Of course, people have sex if they go to war. And of course, people who make love can fight. But it's like an opposite drive. And the drive then was 
to revolt against the Vietnam War, against all wars, and put our energy into love and sharing. 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 Which is very important, something that we need to do now It's especially. It's the bonobo way. Right. And I want to add that us hippies, uh, we are, had our offices in Beverly Hills. Hey, hey now. In the very famous Fox Wilshire building. We had the second to the top floor. and We had two floors there at one point. And the legend was, or the story was, that there was a, a, Elvis's dentist <laughs> yes. was, was in the penthouse upstairs. And um, anyway, it's very nice there. Uh, and uh, we would come... Uh, oh, in the meantime, uh, uh, Willem is going like, hey... These hippies are pretty cool. Uh-huh. They've got a nice place. They're in Beverly Hills. I'm going to stay. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, I just want to say, in those days, Beverly Hills was affordable to hippies. Yes. It's funny. It, it was this period right before, of course, Reagan took over and just made everything unaffordable to the middle class and to hippies. Mm-hmm. Everything became property of the rich, especially in places like Beverly Hills. But this was right before that, so you could get some cheap property and some As rent some places the, the, in the, Beverly the, Hills. The rent was very low. Yeah. Um, it was wonderful. And every day we would come to, to work and uh, there were police cars in disguise. <laughs> so unmarked cars yeah, but unmarked. they were always marked by the way the guys looked right. in them first of all they had the antennas <laughs> on top of the roof and then they had no white walls because they couldn't afford to put white walls they could just have the, the regular <laughs> the regular tires and we would walk past sometimes it would be three or four of them and Paul Eberly my partner Uh, bless his soul, he's another one that's dead and died and gone, Right. Uh, would come to work and he'd see these police cars and undercover cars parked on both sides of the street. <laughs> and he would go up and knock on the window, you know, and the cops would roll down the window, yes, and, and Paul would say, CIA, FBI, who are you? <laughs> Uh, good morning. <laughs> I'm going to work. Uh, Did they ever tell him? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, they they said, just got all flummoxed. Yeah, they all got all flummoxed and said stupid things like, oh, we're waiting for some friends. Oh, yeah, right. Okay. Uh, why do you have antennas on top of your car and radios <laughs> inside your car? Because I can see in there. Anyway, that was pretty much... a everyday occurrence and I remember one night Susan and I were at home this is Susan before me yeah. just for those of you who just tuned in right and uh, I don't know if she remembers this Max likes to marry Susan's yeah I like Susan's and I like Jewish girls <laughs> women <laughs> and uh, broads broads <laughs> and suddenly this fucking helicopter comes swooping down And lights up the bedroom. Wow. Yeah, because they used to stay and watch. If you were having sex, that would be hot. Yeah. Kind of. Kind of. Might be scary. It was kind of scary because I thought scary. they were 
I, I thought they were crashing, going to crash into my... Well, it sounds like when I w- was raided with you. That's and, correct. And I was in the dressing room. You were in the dressing room. Right before the show, so... Yeah. One thing that I want to tell you, that this business of alternative voice in America, in China, in England, in Russia, in France, it's a difficult and hard road to follow when you're following freedom. (laughs) Freedom. Yeah, because as you know, freedom is never free. There's always some motherfucker that's trying to take it away from you. And they're even taking away the word freedom now that the MAGAs call themselves the Freedom Caucus. Yes, the Freedom Caucus. So even you have to explain what you mean by freedom. Well, yes. Well, freedom, uh, well, the, the Freedom Caucus is uh, is a bunch of bullshit, number one. They're all nuts. They're, they're crazed. Yeah. They have nothing to do. Their job yeah. is to create chaos. Their job is to Because cr- they work for the rich, and, and they don't want Congress doing the work of the people. That's correct. So and that's why this has all been happening. If you're tuned in live and wondering about all the What we're doing here, talking, and chatting about. Congress. This was before this kind of activity. In a way, it was brewing. You know, you certainly had J. Edgar Hoover back then. Yeah, but these were times that we liberated condoms in the, in the gas stations. We thought things were progressing. <laughs> right. I mean, we thought I was a little younger, but I thought things were progressing. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Um, little did we know. Little we did we know. Where do a whiplash. Where we were headed because... The but when you met Willem, you were really on the cutting edge of the future. Oh, and we had no bounds. Uh, it was a talk about freedom. It was about the idea between freedom and and publishing what we were doing in in, in Los Angeles and what was being done by Willem in uh, in Holland was that we were not there to judge. Mm-hmm. We were not there to judge. We were there to dig. You certainly dug, and you got all kinds of stuff. We were just looking at a video of an interview that (laughs) you and I did with Willem and you. I mean, I was basically interviewing the two of you about your magazines, and this guy who's a collector brought in a lot of magazines, dozens of finger, hate, love, Annie Sprinkles, and suck as well, and... We were just watching it. It's just an amazing array of activities, all kinds of sex, all kinds of people, although I will say most of them are very hairy. That's a common denominator. It's hair. But, you know, this was in the age of hair, glorious hair. Uh, So, yeah, a lot of hair. Nobody shaved back then. A big bush. Yeah, yeah. But there's all kinds of people of abled and disabled and... uh, particularly abled varieties and different ethnic races and gender descriptions, all kinds. I just can't even do it justice. And there's a lot of kinds that you can't show anymore. You just can't. No. They are so taboo. I can't even talk about it, Not really. only can't you show it, you cannot, when, when radio was in its heyday, uh, you couldn't say seven words. Right. The seven 
deadly words. Now there are hundreds of words that you can't say. And you often don't know what they are. And, and they have to do with combinations. And they have to do with the mood of the people and the bots. And you know, so there's a lot more censorship in a way now than there used to be. Although there is more opportunity for every man, woman, anybody to have a show. Yes. Or a dog. Yes, but uh, it, it's a very controlled because very. it's controlled by corporate America. Big brother. Big brother. They're the big brother. And unlike our time when we got busted 20... 20, 22, 23 times for various uh, things, uh, obscenity, mm-hmm. uh, corporate espionage, uh, and <laughs> various things. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm just getting over a uh, biological attack by, uh, by, by these uh, critters that... Uh, Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't even see. We're both getting over That's that. Correct. And by the way, I want to say shout out to my flu shot nurse. I am so happy I had a flu shot because I had the flu on New Year's Eve. That's yeah. why you guys didn't get a New Year's Eve show because right. I was like coughing and sneezing and so sick. Oh my goddess. Ugh. But I thought it was going to last two weeks and it just lasted a couple of days. I mean, yeah. I still have the cough. Well, you know, Mother Nature's pissed off, and uh, they're on, <laughs> speaking of war, they're on the war path against humanity. Can you blame Mother Nature? I can't blame Mother Nature. We have Mother certainly Nature. been on the war path in the Anthropocene, the Capitalocene, that has been just hitting and hitting and spitting on Mother Nature for decades. I mean, decades. really centuries, but it really intensively since... Just before the sexual revolution. Yeah. So Willem comes into Beverly Hill. Yes. I've done a, a, a thing on his magazine, and he finds it very nice. Mm-hmm. Very nice. And so I talked to Shirley and Paul, who were kind of upset about this. Oh. I said, hey. Why don't we let Willem, one of the great magazine designers, take over Finger? Right. Let him uh, design Finger. So they were upset because they were a little jealous? A little jealous. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, a little jealous. But then you kind of brought it all together. You yeah, made it beneficial uh, uh, to, uh, them. to them. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, Willem did the third issue. Right. Of Finger Magazine. And then they liked him. Uh, and then they liked him because uh, the first uh, the first issue sold 4,000 copies, I believe. Well, second issue sold 15,000 copies. Mm-hmm. And the third issue sold 35,000 wow. copies. We had to keep. We had to keep printing it. That was a bit of upsetting to to the Eberly. Oh, you know, to say but the they least. were making money on it. They were making money, and all of a sudden, uh, Willem had a penthouse, a beautiful penthouse, mm-hmm. right down the street from our offices in Beverly Hills, and he started to produce the uh, Finger magazine from that location. 
and uh, that also caused a lot of friction because uh, Willem rounded up his own hippies. <laughs> oh. Yeah. And uh, is this when Annie Sprinkle entered the mix? Uh, no, Annie didn't enter. Uh, Annie entered the mix several years later. Um, but uh, how about Cora? Uh, Cora? Well, Cora was, of course, a, a good friend and and collaborator of uh, of Willems in Holland. Um, but uh, now I'm trying to remember her name. Uh, who did the uh, did the tape? Uh, I want to come, I want to come, and I can't remember her name. I want to come, I, I want, want to come. come. Yeah, it's yeah. Dutch woman. Dutch and woman. I think she came to visit us. Yes, yes, yeah. Mm -hmm. She was a tall, stunning Dutch woman. Uh, um, the other thing that, uh, that there was kind of a, this, this problem within the LA Star was that Willem was extremely creative. And that was a problem. And that was a problem uh, because we were kind of hippy dippy. Uh, Willem was a much more um, um, artist. Artist. A serious artist. Serious artist. He spoke seriously, and mm -hmm. he had a way about himself. And he and was already kind of famous, at he, least in Holland. Well, as he always said, "I'm world famous in Holland." Right. Yeah, he loved to say that. I am. World and he was. Yeah, and he came to America to conquer the art world. And he kind of did, well, part of it. He kind of did. Uh, certainly, Los Angeles, uh, we were on the radio all the time. We were on, on, on television all the time. The underground erotic art scene in Los Angeles, you could say you guys was kind us. of led that. So that's a conquering. <laughs> yeah, there, there was nobody else. A uh, soft conquering. Yeah, <laughs> there, there was nobody else then that... Uh, even dared uh, publish what we published and it wasn't to shock people it wasn't to sell more papers it wasn't any of that it was what is happening behind the veneer when we spread that open is so to speak so to speak is is that the sexuality that uh, Hugh Hefner is promoting? Not exactly. Not exactly. One of the reasons why I was never again invited to the uh, to the place there is, is yeah, because they oh. airbrushed out all the hair <coughs> if they didn't they shave. They airbrushed it. out all the hair. They moved the tits around. They <laughs> they did incredible things. With already kind of model type. Right, totally humans. model type humans. <coughs> and uh, <coughs> there were no fat people. Right, you had all sizes. Uh, we had Way before it was politically correct. Oh, yeah. We had all sizes. In fact, I remember a time that um, we had this picture, and this woman sends a picture of herself, and she's like a balloon, you know? And uh, she looked like Al Goldstein. Wow, Remember yeah. how big he, he was? He was big he before was it was politically correct. Right. Let's just say. Yeah, and uh, and and this photo came in, and uh, I don't know why Paul and Shirley were like, "Oh no, no, you can't put that on Love Magazine." Nobody wants. Too. Nobody too big. likes fat people. Mm. 
Willem says, it's beautiful. <laughs> I like that. Right. Let's put that on the cover. Okay, <laughs> on the cover. And I had to vote with Willem, which meant that this woman ended up on the front page of Love magazine. That magazine, that issue, sold more Love magazines than all the previous magazines we had published. There you go. You know? And later, when you did uh, Beverly Hills, the magazine, you put a painting of Orson Welles ah, naked. Yes. Naked. Sort of a remembrance Big of and that. fat and nice. And they fired me. Over that. They fired me because I put a picture of Orson Welles on the front of the Brentwood Blah Blah. How dare you? <laughs> or I thought it was Beverly Hills, the magazine, but well, maybe it no, was back it was, Brentwood Blah Blah. It was on the Brentwood Blah Blah. I'm looking for it. I no, think, no, it's not, not in this the, room. Anyway, so I got fired for that. Uh, and <laughs> over the years here in Bonoboville, I've been accused of not liking fat people. I don't dislike fat people. I don't dislike skinny people, you know, but I do care about health. And you've just lost 50 pounds. And I just lost 50 pounds. So uh, I, my heart is beating better. And uh, um, I, I've shrunk my stomach down to a little, oh, yeah. little thing. And, uh, but I can't eat much anymore. So uh, Willem is in this penthouse. And... Um, um, we're, we're putting out these magazines. We now uh, uh, have news racks from, um, from, Los An from San Diego all the way to Seattle. Mm -hmm. And we're selling thousands and thousands of, uh, of, of newspapers and getting busted, mm -hmm. getting prosecuted. And you had a lawyer named Stanley Fleischman. And uh, so, first and of all, you know, I'm, I'm a nice Italian kid. And the first time they busted me for obscenity, I didn't even know what obscenity was. Really. Right. I, well, it was I like, still don't know what it is. How can obscenity, how can two people having sex be obscenity? Right. Isn't like war blowing people apart? That's obscenity That's to me. That's an obscenity. So I kind of, we kind of, you know, but then we got busted again. So the initially for the first, after the first bus, we got busted two times more within basically a 90-day period. And we were all over the news, of course, because we were a big alternative voice in the city. And uh, we got in touch with Stanley Fleshman. Stanley was a genius, brilliant lawyer that when he rolled himself in his wheelchair into a courtroom. The hush went over the, the hush, it's Stanley Fleshman. And um, <clears throat> he had a lot of power. And we went to his office, and he had a whole crew there of also young, uh, what do they call them, uh, uh, um, uh, young lawyers. and um, Eager beavers. Eager beavers. There was another name for them. 
And of course, we're sitting there, and uh, the lawyers are sitting there, and we're all on coke, by the way. Ah, Cause, you, you know, graduated. Yeah, if you're a, if you're a lawyer, you know, you got all this shit. You got to even Stanley Fleischman. No, no, he wouldn't. Do that. All his young Turks. Mm. Yeah. And uh, so we sit down, and we tell our sad story. And uh, he says, well, you guys didn't publish this. One of your companies did. You don't even know anything about it. And we looked at each other and said, no, no, no. Actually, we published this. And he said, no, no, you didn't. uh, Excuse me, Mr. Fay. We did. And what we're doing here is publishing anything that the reader sends in. And he says, you, these aren't models? I said, no, these aren't models. This is the community. The human community. <laughs> the human community. And they would send their Polaroid. Right. In. He never had heard of such a thing. Never had heard such you a thing. You really enlightened him. And uh, he said, are you telling me that you are publishing these pictures from from these people uh, and they're not writers or no Mr. Fleshman these are this is what we consider the open gates to a free press this is reality before there was reality programming right without judgment without anything but to again say to mention Willem to slice a little bit in the veneer to see what's really happening because we didn't believe Playboy. Mm-hmm. Right. So, do you think you turned Willem onto this idea, or did he turn you onto this idea? No. Or you just happened to have the same idea separately, and then well, you joined forces. Well, first of all, Willem invented everything in the world. Right, but so did you. <laughs> so I know, the, so I know the, that you so did I. Both of us are the masters of invention when it comes to publishing. But somehow you weren't competitive. No, but Willem was doing the same thing kind of a different way. He started Suck Magazine with Bill Levy, and their idea was, we're not going to write this stuff. We're not going to... So they asked all the, their, their friends mm-hmm. to say, hey, tell us about your sex life. Send us pictures and drawings. And so within, we were basically doing the same thing on two sides of the world. Right. And that's why we got along so well. So and it was like social media. Yeah, it was like. Before social media. Before way social, before. Way before social media. Uh, Stanley was so amazed by this, he said, I'll take the case. All right. And he defended us through 20-some-odd prosecutions. We never went to jail for more than a few hours because mm-hmm. we got bailed out. And we had some money, you know. Um, life was pretty good, you know. We had a, a French... 
a French sort of governess who looked after the kids. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which reminded me, I have two kids. Now I have a bunch more kids and grandchildren. I don't, you know, I don't even remember everybody. But my son, Michael, one day picks up a big dildo. <laughs> and he runs next door to play with his friends. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> and he's got this dildo. <laughs> and, of course, uh, mom and dad, uh, <laughs> who are these people living next door, you know? Mm. Uh, and we lived just down the street from the office. Um, so we kept breaking ground. Are with those neighbors the ones that called the cops? But could be. <laughs> Maybe that's why that helicopter came by. Uh, and, uh, yeah. So um, we were publishing. We were getting busted. And did he have a girlfriend at the time? He didn't. Who? Willem. Willem had all kinds of lots women. Of lots of women around him. Mm-hmm. He's always had lots of women. So he uh, didn't settle in with Annie Sprinkle yet. No, that was um, many years later. When, uh, well, that comes at the time of the story when the FBI shows up at the office. Ah. Uh, That was another call, uh, but that was after the Mansons. Now, you have so many great stories. I just want to say the story of the Mansons, before you get into it, though, just in case you get off on a tangent and you don't quite finish it, it is on a radio show that you and I did with Willem back in 2008. Right. And we tell, well, you guys tell the story of the Mansons getting fixated on you because you published a few pictures of some of the Manson ladies uh, naked. And then all of the madness that ensued and some of which inspired, I guess, a scene in Beverly Hills Cop. Yes, that was the chase when they were chasing Susan, uh, uh, Susan, my ex-wife, Maureen Murphy. um, And they were following them around because they were trying to find me. And I was (laughs) hiding out down the street in Willem's penthouse. Now, at that time, I could answer my office phone from the penthouse. Okay, so in trying to communicate with Susan when she called me, one day, although Willem tells the same story, but it's my story. You can hear both your version and Willem's version, like one after the other, (laughs) on this show at drsusanblock.com slash Willem dash D dash Ritter. It's kind of the same version because I heard it again today as I was watching the tape. Oh, this is the audio. We did two interviews with Willem. So the the one you were watching was the video. But anyway, I'm sure you tell the story all the time. It's just an amazing story. The story is I'm in the hiding out. the, uh, the, 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 The cops are looking for me. They're following Susan and Maureen, and I forget, maybe uh, uh, Lucci uh, in this car. And uh, <clears throat> I'm sitting in this office, and they're trying to figure out where I am. 
So uh, at a certain point, I pick up the uh, phone, and uh, I don't know what's going on, right? I pick up the phone, and I hear a guy on my line, on my phone, on my office phone. And I go, uh, hello? <laughs> Who is this? And he goes, this is uh, Lieutenant Lloyd Martin, Los Angeles Vice. Who's this? Click. <laughs> and I hung up. And at that point, I said, uh-oh, that's coming very close. So I left the, the, uh, I left the, um, uh, the penthouse, and I went to a friend of mine who actually uh, was, um, was an actor at the time, quite a well-known actor. Who's, he's so well-known that I don't remember his name. And uh, in the meantime, there's this chase going on. And uh, Susan and Maureen and, and these guys, they're all driving around in this car. And every once in a while, they stop the car. Maureen gets out of the car. The cops are right behind her in unmarked cars. And she never wore panties. Oh. That was one of the nice things that I liked about Maureen. Not that I, you know, I wasn't like, no. <laughs> Uh, but every once in a while you get a nice look. Yeah, every once in a while I get a nice look. Because she would do that at the office. Flash. She, she'd go, <laughs> she'd Wow. Like, you go, woo, oh, right. And uh, she would stop and raise her skirt uh, in the headlights of the cops. And uh, so th- this chase, eventually a, s- a similar scene showed up in... Beverly Hills Cops. Beverly Hills Cops. Wow. That's, yeah. you know. Now, there were no cell... Iconic. F- yeah. There were no cell phones. Okay. Right. So, we had to communicate. The car and, and the staff had to communicate with me through pay phones. Oh. No walkie-talkies N- No walkie-talkies. No far enough. Yeah. Uh, no. And we weren't ready for this raid. And where was Willem during this? We were hanging out at... <laughs> At the penthouse. <laughs> you and Willem. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so they're running around in this car, and Susan uh, uh, calls me every once in a while. That's the I other said, Susan. Yeah, the other Susan. And, and where I said, where are you? Well, we're here uh, at the corner of San Vincente and Wilshire, and that's where we have our mail uh, box. Right. Yeah, but there was a restaurant there at the time, okay. which was open late at night. And uh, so I said, why don't you go in there, sit down, and have something to eat. And uh, sure enough, they go in there, have something to eat. And uh, what do you got there? Somebody dinging, ringing. And, um, <clears throat> and the cops come in. And... I forget whether I called the restaurant and said I need to speak to Susan, which they announced. So all the cops got all alert. And Susan went to the phone and I said, okay, listen. She says, the cops are right there. They're sitting at a booth a little ways from us. I said, okay, leave. As soon as their order comes, whether it's coffee or 
you leave. And so sure enough, they, I think they got caught, whatever it was, but as soon as the, 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 that the food showed up or the coffee, they all leave. And that's kind of the part, of, and I haven't really, I, I should sometime take a look at Beverly Hills uh, Cops 2, I think it is. Cops. Oh, that has that type of a scene that has that. where the cops are all waiting and so they order yeah. and then the person... And they the chase and yeah. you're going around. I mean, they, they never got further than around the block. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they just kept turning and this way and that way. All right, but back to Willem. Okay, so in the meantime, uh, we're doing these and um, magazines and uh, Stanley Fleshman is is uh, is uh, defending us um, um, and we keep getting busted we keep getting busted we uh, for um, uh, uh, corporate espionage uh, corporate espionage yes corporate espionage. you weren't even a corporation no but see we were selling what they call blue boxes oh or or black boxes and blue boxes, black boxes, whatever they were called, I don't quite remember. Before, uh, be, before, uh, what's his name, uh, Steve Jobs was doing making computers. He was making black boxes, right? And we were selling them. And Pacific Bell came in. They were kind of hackers into phone systems. They were total hackers, and. Uh, the way it worked was, if you had one of these boxes, you could call all over the world. Yeah. And not get charged. And, and Pacific Bell came in and said that we were stealing millions of dollars. I think at the time they said $12 million. Which, for that time, was, you know, a rather substantial amount. And so, we got arrested for that. Right. Was that around the time you started doing phone sex? Uh, Yeah, and now... (laughs) With Queen Adrena? Yeah, now there was Queen Adrena, and... um, You guys were into all kinds of erotic expression. We we were at the office, often late at night, and uh, some of us slept on the couch. (laughs) Right, right. We were at the office working really all... Shout out to Elon, yeah. who we don't like for every other reason, right. but the sleeping on the couch thing, we're totally right. with you there. It's a pr- kind of a private joke. But You're the worst billionaire, a yeah. Susie Award winner, but we do get the pods by the desk. You know, um, so, um, so we got arrested for that. Uh, again, uh, Stanley had... Every time, every case, he got dismissed. He was good. And thrown out. Except the last one. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) And he was thrown out. And it was thrown out. Case after case. This this guy was brilliant. But you know, you weren't doing anything wrong. Of course. And he got right behind this reader-written concept. Not that most people that go to jail are necessarily doing anything wrong i mean a lot of people aren't but you had a good lawyer and that helps i had a good lawyer by the way for those of you who are lawyers or don't remember this stanley 
basically lost one major case, not against us. He lost the Miller decision. Oh, the Miller decision. The Miller decision one. said that community standards, set community standards, not nationwide, but village by village. Mm-hmm. Now they could prosecute. Right. You know, they could prosecute. And they do. And they do. And they still do. Um, because of these community yeah. standards that are always shifting. Right. And right. that just create opportunities for censorship and grudge holding. So let's go back to... Um, let's go back to the... Um, Let's go back to um, the Mansons. Boy, I see that I'm writing things on here. You're writing things? This is not really me, though. For some reason, Abe doesn't want to write as himself. Oh, I guess it's easier to write as me. But a blue box. But you're talking about black boxes. the same thing? Yeah, it's the same thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, they yeah next to the article that is on I uh, gotcha. Wikipedia about Steve Wozniak yeah. and Steve Jobs. Yeah. Black and blue box. Right, about they're, the... They're called blue boxes. Blue boxes, yeah, right. right. Yeah, good. Okay. You see, so... But some people call yeah. them black boxes. Yeah. So I called Steve, and I said, hey, Steve, hi. <laughs> We're one of your distributors, and uh, we just got busted... Busticated. How about a little moolah? You called Steve oh, Wozniak? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What'd he say? No, Steve Jobs. Oh, Steve Jobs. Uh, right. as, uh, you know. But he did that with Steve Wozniak, yeah, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it was like, fuck you. <laughs> well, that was his hey. style. So yeah. that's why I never, for years I wouldn't buy an iPhone or anything that these guys made. Right. Okay, they're kind of forgiven now, okay, but not really. Um, I can't wait till you get to the part where you move to Italy, frankly. Okay, okay. we're going to get to that. I know, I'm just foreshadowing. Okay, before that, that. that, there was another famous case that Stanley fought for us. You and Willem. Yeah, the Angie Dickinson case. Uh Uh-huh. Angie Dickinson had just gone on television as policewoman. Right. So us bright little hippies, stoned and mushroomed out, go, hey, why don't we ask the readers to send us fan letters? Real Uh fan letters. Not the fan letters that you see in the fan magazines, but what are they really writing? And we just got an outpouring. I like Angie Dickens, and I want to fight her, and I want to do this, and I want to do that, and I want to hang her upside down, and blah, blah, blah. Angie Dickinson's sister works for the LAPD as a dispatcher. So suddenly, we are charged with criminal libel. And criminal libel was a law from the 18-something or other uh, that said that if you spoke against senators or any elected official, you could be charged with criminal libel. Mm. Okay, so it was a... And it was never used except for one other time. And for you people that 
know a little bit about publishing. There was a magazine at one time called Confidential Magazine. Confidential Magazine was a big corporate sort of, uh, you know, like the magazines they have today. All about actors and, and that kind of thing. And they were charged with criminal libel. And they couldn't fight it. They lost the case. And they had to shut down. We were the second case charged with criminal libel. And we were hippies. So we had nothing to lose. <laughs> we, <laughs> we had nothing. We had some desks. You know, they couldn't take our dope. You know, so um, Stanley took that case and won. All right. And the criminal libel statutes in the state of California were overturned so that no journalist could be charged with criminal libel. And because California is kind of a lead state, those laws fell in a lot of other states, which, of course, Trump is, was trying to bring back, if you recall. Yeah. Yeah, he wanted to bring back criminal uh, libel laws so he could have a journalist uh, arrested. So um, so that was it's the... It's almost like what Julian Assange is charged with. That's Criminal correct. libel against the U.S. military. Yes, uh, in a way, yeah. In a way. Um, free Assange. Yeah, free Assange. Let the man go. Um, he told us the truth. He showed us the truth. Yeah. Of our violence. The truth about war. About war, you know. Uh, the, the, the and he certainly was very similar to the way you published in that he didn't write the piece. Correct. He didn't talk any about it. He simply released the evidence he released what chelsea manning had sent him which was volumes of evidence of u.s war crimes in iraq and afghanistan and then this particular video that showed some gunners the gunners in a helicopter killing innocent people journalists journalists on a street corner iraqi journalists who were just Gathering somehow. They were standing on a street corner. Right. Like three or four doing of them. Nothing. Doing nothing. And this helicopter comes along. Kills them and some other innocent people. Right. And then you hear their voices kind of uh, taking it not very seriously. Yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> not exactly <laughs> laughing, but almost. Like, yeah. just being very like, so what about it? And then, of course, it was covered up. So, so, yeah, a lot of things are covered up. So, Willem and, and God Magazine, G, G Magazine, is growing. It's doing very well. And one morning, I'm in my office, <laughs> and uh, one of the people comes and, and, and says, there's some... There's some there's some people here to see you, uh, Mickey. I said, oh, okay. Who, 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 who is uh, 
who is it? And she says, uh, it's the FBI. Uh, the, the, the FBI. Uh, it, 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 you mean the FBI? The, the, and they're out. Uh, they're here. <laughs> and okay, so I'm thinking, okay, this is a federal bust. I'm going away <laughs> for good, for a long time. And I said, well, um, why don't, uh, go, go ahead and send them in. And she says, all of them? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, uh, what do you mean all of them? She says, there's like maybe eight guys here. Eight. I said, okay. Now, keep in mind that I'm totally whacked out and stoned. So this is, I'm in a movie. You know, mm-hmm. I'm in a movie. Send me their leader. <laughs> I'm really stupid. Send me their leader. Let me, <laughs> let me see these people. So these two suits walk in. And I'm sitting there with tomato eyes. Red, mm-hmm. <laughs> big tomato eyes. And I'm looking at these guys and I'm sitting. And I say, okay, well, s- sit down. And uh, I said, what are, you, wh- wh- what are you here for? Uh, search warrant? Uh, arrest warrant? Wh- what's going on? And they pull out a copy of G Magazine of God. And they put it on the desk. And they said, you see this, Max? If you publish another issue of this, you're going away for a long, long time. Mm. And I'm stoned. This is very threatening. Of course. You know, very threatening. And where's Willem while this is going on? He's not there. Oh. I'm there. He's at the penthouse. <laughs> uh. I'm there. So again, I go, but um, let me, uh, you don't have a warrant, right? Do you have a search warrant, a arrest warrant? No, no, Max, we don't have any of that. We're just here to tell you. They were from Las Vegas, by the way, for some reason. They were from the Los, not from Los Angeles, but from the Las Vegas Bureau. And once I was sure that they didn't have a warrant because they would have, you know, told me to stand up, put my hands behind my back and right. take me away. Once I realized they didn't have a warrant, at least not at that moment, I said, okay, now get the fuck out. <laughs> and they looked at me. I said, get out. And they did. And they did, and they left. And I went home to Susan, basically. The other Susan. The other Susan. I said, pack your shit. (laughs) We are leaving. (laughs) And Willem says, I'm leaving also. We're going to Holland. Uh Uh-huh. And in, I think it was a couple of few days, two days, three days, we packed nine trunks. 
like those over there, nine trunks full of stuff. And we get our two kids, and we get Willem, and I, is there anybody? No. No, nobody else. And we get ourselves on a 747 Pan Am. All right. And the plane is half empty because... My cousin used to work for Pan Am. Yeah. Very class hero. Yeah, very class hero. They don't make them like that anymore. No. And they were, it was half empty. Nice. Yeah, so they had these big, long rows where you could lay down and have sex under the blanket. That was before we knew about climate change. Right, that's before we knew about climate change. And we got on that plane, and uh, the next morning, we were in Holland. All right. Just like that. And my poor uh, uh, father-in-law and mother-in-law had to sell everything we had, which was uh, quite a, a few things. There was furniture, there were, there were libraries, there were books, there were uh, all kinds of stuff. And Willem, myself, and, um, and Susan and the two kids end up in Holland. And uh, they, uh, first Willem gets us an apartment right where the uh, Pan Am plane crashed, actually. Or it was the freight plane, I forget, into that building. I don't know if you remember that. We have 15 minutes, jeez. Right. And uh, while in Holland, we start publishing. Start publishing Love Magazine. Mm-hmm. We publish. And this is without Paul Everly now. Now this is without Paul Everly. Uh, and uh, there's a wonderful cartoon by uh, Jody Roberts of us leaving. <laughs> he did a whole strip of us chicken shits leaving because the FBI... Oh showed up and I've been trying to find that because it was really quite nice. <laughs> anyway, uh, so we end up in a beautiful little uh, village, uh, Bergen and Zee, uh, by the North Sea in a farmhouse there. Um, and we published there and uh, uh, it was a lot of fun. Any other questions? Because we're running out of time. Okay, so so we're going to have to be continued in a lot of ways. Okay, but just talk a little bit about being in Italy with Willem and Annie Sprinkle. Okay, so um, at some point uh, after Holland, since she's a little bit famous, yeah, and we still know her, and she's still alive. She's still alive, hugging trees, and she's uh, ecosexual. She's ecosexual now. She has a wife, Beth. Right, has a wife, Beth, and. Um, so we're in Holland, uh, and we it, there's elections in Italy, and uh, there was a very good chance that the communists were going to win. All right. The elections. So, oh, there's Leanne and Samantha. Those are two of my favorite uh-huh. uh, listeners. Yeah, people have been very interested. Yeah, yeah well, they were, uh, they were very beautiful too. So, <laughs> <laughs> excuse me. And you guys are handsome. Yeah, and you guys are handsome. Especially that Who big we banana. Got here. Oh, and oh, my goodness. There's Look, my ex-wife. Susan is there and Danielle. And Danielle, my, my problem child. Right. Uh, <laughs> when she was born, the nurse said, let's be careful. This one is 
is a problem. Uh-huh. She's a big problem. All right. uh, okay. Anyway, they've been anyway. listening the whole time. Yeah, yeah, and they're very great. Good. They're very they're nice. They're very, very nice. Great. So we to get in our VW, our Volkswagen, that we bought for two hundred dollars in Holland, and else uh, our designer paints uh, Lady Luck on the side, and I pack Robert the dog and the kids and Willem and Elsa del Puerto and we get in this VW van and we head to Italy to see what's going to happen with the Communist Party taking over. And it was also the time of another revolution and that was the success of the people to take away um, the licensing of radio stations. Right. Yeah. And we were so excited about this because now we could go there and do things. Do a radio show. Of course, now everybody has a radio show, right. just like this one. Yeah. Except they're called podcasts. Right. Now they're called podcasts. So. But those days, if you had a radio show, that was really special. That was special. Like publishing a magazine, yeah. but for audio. So we put, put, put up over the Alps in a total, total blizzard. And this thing is going. You know, remember the VWs made a tuk, 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 tuk noise. Got to the other side. It was beautiful. <laughs> Come down the Alps into these meadows. We park the fucking thing and we all jump out and go to sleep in the grass. Mm. You know. And we head further down and we end up in a, in a village. Um, um, in a village called San Felice Circeo. Uh, San or Felice. San Felice Circeo. In the American accent. Yes, in the American <laughs> accent. San Felice Circeo is the, uh, has uh, where the Maga Circe from the Odyssey. Right. She was would turn men into pigs. Right. And we ended up on this beauti- in this beautiful villa mm-hmm. at the top of the mountain. And uh, and the pigs, the boar. Yes, there were yeah. natural wild boar there. You, you could hear them at night. Groaning because they were yeah. and men's minds inside of them. And running around. Cersei <laughs> 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 yeah. had cast her spell upon <laughs> these poor guys. And we had a private beach up there and... Uh, we were on a private road, which was uh, during the summer blocked off by the uh, national police because uh, Anna Magnani lived there and a lot of famous Italian actors, uh, including uh, the defense minister uh, uh, who was once the, uh, the defense minister of Italy, but he had stolen m- millions and millions of dollars. Right. You know. And you met Elizabeth Taylor in uh, town uh, and yeah. Goldie Hawn. Uh, uh, just all these people came to this little little village. And you and Willem were uh, making uh, magazines uh, and doing yeah. a radio show. We were making magazines. We were doing a radio show. We were, and it's funny, we took over the radio station, which was owned, by the way, by an optometrist who was a right-wing fascist. Okay? Mm-hmm. And he turned the radio station over to us at midnight. 
we would record the program, run it down to the station, put the tape on, go back to the villa, and make another show. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And so within an hour or an hour and a half, we had to have another show. And one of the things that we did with this show was, you know what? The village is 3,500 people in the village. Willem says, we go, okay, why don't we have some of the villagers on the show? Right, tell their stories. Tell their stories. So we invite some villagers and they start telling the story now if you go into the village at midnight now keep in mind this is a little village walled against the pirates and the mm. barbarians and <clears throat> some streets only two people can go by and the whole city is our show everybody's listening in the village mm -hmm. so as you walk through the village from every house you can hear our voices. And one night we invite a kid. And uh, I don't know if it was the kid that had his own raid. No, it wasn't. We invite this kid up. And, you know, we're just sitting there at, at, at a, a Willem the Ritter fashion. And uh, he says, uh, so, tell us a story about you know, your family, your life, you know. And the kid started, and they all started like this. All the villagers would start. Um, uh, allora, vediamo. Uh, very nervous. This kid the same way. And he starts to tell the story of his family. And then he starts to tell how much he hates them. Mm-hmm. And how much he hates his grandmother. The anger comes yeah, out. The anger comes out. Yes. And he. We started this show with <laughs> anger, and we are going to wind it up yeah. with explorations of anger. And he says, um, uh, "He says, I want to burn the house down. All right. I'm going to kill." But he didn't do it. But he didn't do it. He didn't do it. No. That's the and, key. And plus, the house was all stones. Oh well. So couldn't have done it. It was very hard to do. This was a form of expression yeah. so that people didn't run amok as they are doing now, now right. in societies all over the world. And with us was Annie Sprinkle, who had come ah, yes. to visit and stayed. And uh, She came to visit because? Because of Willem, because oh. we knew each other. Oh, okay. We invited her. Met in her. L.A.? Uh, met, met in uh, Rhode Island. Oh, right. Uh, when she did first did a story on uh, on us. Oh. And uh, so she came there, and uh, she uh, she hooked up with w Willem. Right. They okay. really hooked up, didn't they? They really hooked up, and it was really... Very creative, uh, erotic collaboration. Right. And... Uh, and of course, uh, she was still in the sex business per se, uh, because she started out basically as a, a hooker, you know. Uh, and we love hookers. Yeah, we love hookers. Not trying so to put that down. No. But after spending time with you, and of course, especially Willem, who was her boyfriend, she became an artist. Correct, because uh, because of Willem and that he put her on that road. Um, 
and she's become quite well known. Yeah, now she's in a lot of <coughs> big museums and stuff like that. Yeah, and uh, Willem. As he is yeah, and was. And Willem would paint there, and one day he gets a, a, a work to do a series of of watercolors. Mm-hmm. This was totally Willem, and he paints this these things. That's right. He paints this uh, these the series. And I go out on the, on the terrace, and I look at the, it's very nice, very nice. Willem, there's a bug down here in the corner. There's a little bug stuck to the stuck to the painting. Should I should I take should I take the bug off? He says, No, 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 no! Don't touch, don't touch the bug. We can sell that for more. <laughs> So that was always his, Willem was always very positive. Turning things around. Turning, he totally always turned things around. Um, I would like to just say one sure. little thing, yeah. very small, because of course he was your friend. He only met me late in life, and yet I always connected with him. He connected with everybody. Right. He, he brought stories out of everybody and yet I was the interviewer so I guess I brought more stories out of him but one thing that I identified with was that he was always an asthmatic patient he had asthma since he was a baby and of course I had asthma as a baby and so I always felt that he was breaking through because it's what you have to do when you have asthma more and more people have asthma now at that time, it was more exotic. Yes. But now the air is so bad, there are a lot of people struggling to breathe, as he and I were as babies, and he was even more than me in his life. And yet, it's because of that that he broke through this wall of isolation to connect with people and encourage people to share their stories and be like a magician helping them to come out of their shells, out of their isolation, because he knew what it was like to be in isolation, to not be able to express yourself. And he knew how horrible that is, how violent that is, and that the act of expression, of freeing yourself, whether it's showing pictures or writing or speaking on the radio, it's all helps to let the air out of the bag so you don't cop an AR-15 and run into a supermarket and kill your neighbors. So many nights we would hear him struggling to breathe. He would never take any medication. Right. Yeah, and he struggled to breathe, and I thought many times... That's going to be it. That's going to be it. You know. Yeah. He was a brilliant man. He saw the world through his eyes, and he saw the world in a, in a different view. Um, I just want to tell one other thing, because it's, sure. poli- it's political. Absolutely. So this is a small village, so I would go, especially after we started the radio show, I would go into the village, and there would be uh, the chief of police, the head carabinieri, uh, some of the people from the village, 
And there was this little old lady that was always there. She was some kind of, she was known in the village for her family and so forth. And the police chief is talking and he's complaining that the kids, the poor people from around are coming to the, the, the village and stealing televisions and stuff from the villas. And he was saying how terrible it was and blah, blah, blah. And the little old woman says to him, what are you talking about? He says, I'm talking about this thievery. I'm talking about this thievery. He says, Marashallo, your family was the biggest thief in this village. And we take turns stealing. Mm. That's why we want to become mayor <laughs> or city council. Mm -hmm. And I never forgot that. Anyway, uh, Willem, carry on. Do what you will, and shall be the whole of the publishing. A <laughs> <laughs> little twist on Alistair Crowley there. Right. Uh, I love you, and I know you're doing good, and uh, I know you're turning things inside out. And uh, we'll talk more as time goes on. Uh, I want you to look this gentleman up. His name is Willem the Ritter. He had tremendous influence on design, on radio, uh, long before Howard. Uh, and... Uh, Howard Stern, you mean? Yeah. I didn't know what Howard you meant. <laughs> it's not like how he's known as Howard. So he had influence in the arts and all the arts. And um, he taught me a lot. And uh, I love the man. And this is the not the last time we're going to be talking about him. No. We are saying goodbye to him in this For show. Now. It's hello to the new year. Go Bonobos in 2023. And... Farewell, Willem de Ritter. We will be seeing you soon, but we will keep talking about you. That's a sign you're partly still alive. And we're going to talk about some other things next week that we didn't get to talk about this time, like how Louisiana is forcing people to show IDs to look at porn. Ooh. Oh, my God. IDs, like your driver's license, just to look at porn. I also want to talk about how Prince Harry lost his virginity in a field behind a pub to an older woman who spanked him. He admitted oh. that in his book. And, oh, then there's the thing about his brother assaulting him. Well, that's not good. Prince Wills, the prince of pegging, but it's no good. And our old friend Ron Jeremy has been declared demented. All right. And so he's, uh, you know, he'll, uh, well, maintain being institutionalized, yeah. but not go through a trial. Yeah. So things are happening, but we're just barely getting into 2023. We've been giving out Susie Awards. I know some of our Susie Award winners were in our chat, and we appreciate 
what you were writing, some of them were sympathizing with you, Captain Max, and your pain over losing your friend and that making it difficult to talk about. And so shout outs to Chris out there. Well, that's about the end of this train ride, I think. Yeah. We've reached the station of the love train in Bonoboville. Make hink not war. Make love, not war. Make like bonobos, not baboons. Look up Willem de Ritter. Yeah, listen to some of his shows. Yeah. Yeah, especially on this Revolve. What is that station there? The German thing? He talks about radio. Right. And how to use radio. So, if you're interested in radio. The power of sound. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So this is just a, a, a little taste. Eargasms. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, yeah, we've been talking about revolutionary publishing. It's all sex, mostly. Yeah. Different things, but sex, we always come back to that. Se and sex is politics. Yeah, it's always a revolution in your own life. Your right. sexuality, the revelation in your life. And try to share it in a good way, in a bonobo way. And make love, not war. Make love uh, to, to someone, someone you, you love, love tonight. tonight. Even if that someone is you. I love you. Bye, guys. Thank you. I want Bye, to Sam come. I want to Bye, come. Leah. I want to come. 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 to talk with someone about something you can't talk about with anyone else, you can talk to us. I'm Dr. Susan Block, your mistress of the airwaves, but my day job is director of the Dr. Susan Block Institute for the Erotic Arts and Sciences, specializing in sex therapy over the phone. Anytime you need to talk, whether you need serious psychotherapy or a hot phone sex experience, or a combination. My world-renowned telephone sex therapists are just a phone call away. Totally private, absolutely confidential. We listen, talk with you, advise you, role-play for you, fantasize with you, no fantasy is too taboo, and help you with anything from impotence to exhibitionism, fears to desires, fetishes to marriages. For more information, call us at 213-291-9497. That's 213-291-9497 anytime you need to talk. You're listening to Radio Suzy One on the World Wide Web.